Well, good morning, church. Uh, I'm Pastor Joe Reeves, as, as Pastor Ryan alluded to. I was noticing in the video when they were showing the clip at youth group, I'm literally wearing this exact same outfit. I promise you guys I have more clothes than this. My wife says that this, this shirt looks the best on me. So. so when she says stuff like that, I ruffle through the dirty laundry to find this shirt. Because when I get home after not seeing her all morning, I want her to be like, hey, what's up? So that, that's why. So, so ex- pardon the, the, the double things. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Um, I have a really powerful message, I think, for you guys, um, mostly because I didn't write it. Um, Kevin wrote it, and I got to, to like rummage through the notes and, and just see God move. And God spoke to me, you guys, during this message. And so, so uh, I just want to preface this statement that this message that if it feels like I'm picking on somebody in particular, just know that I'm, I'm looking in a mirror and I'm preaching this to myself and you guys all get to be here. So that's really cool. Um, last week we talked about um, how, how God's word is accurate, right? It, how it can be trusted. We looked at, we looked at eyewitness accounts, we looked at scientific evidence, right? I know this guy likes the, the scientific evidence, right? Um, uh, we looked at the, the archaeological integrity of the Bible. And so, so with all of that being said, we're going we're gonna to kind of culminate into the next couple of weeks here. And, and we're going to look at a couple of different topics that John wrote about. Today, I get to talk to you guys about the end times. But what John describes as the last hour. And I've already got a couple of wide eyes and I was just thinking about this when Kevin gave me this message. I was like, there's like three topics that pastors who are guest speakers don't like to talk about, right? Money, sex, and the end times. And here we are. Thanks a lot, Pastor Ryan. Actually, Ryan's going to be listening to this message later. So why don't you just give it up for Pastor Ryan real quick? Are you guys appreciative of him? I, I'm so appreciative for Pastor Ryan. He is amazing. Um, and in fact... I appreciate him so much. I don't think that was, I think that was good, but I think we can do better. Can we just give it up for Pastor Ryan in this place? Come on. There it is. So at the top of my message, I'm just going to share with you guys a story, okay? Uh, This is a story. This happened to me um, right before we moved to Wisconsin. Um, I think I've told parts of the story before, but right right before my wife and I moved to Wisconsin, I got a job on a, on a um, cattle ranch right, a beef cattle ranch, and I'd never done this job before. I'd never even been in a tractor before, and I'm from western Wisconsin, uh, not Wisconsin, sorry, Nebraska. I've lived in Wisconsin for so long, what have you guys done to me? I'm from, I'm from northwest Nebraska, the panhandle of Nebraska, and I'd never been in a tractor, I'd never worked on a ranch other than baling hay with my grandpa, and, and so um, I had no idea what I was doing. Well, I had a two-day orientation with my boss, and the only reason I got the job is because his kids were in my youth group. That is not a good settling start. Um, and and so, so I get into it, and my job is to feed 600 cows, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of 600 head of cattle. And, and this is right before winter um, in 2013, right? So headed into the 2013 winter. Um, I get two days of training, and... Uh, 
my boss was like, hey, I need you to move the hay from the trailer over to this pile. And I was like, remember when I said I'd never been into a tractor? What do I do? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was freaking out. My job was to feed the cows. And they were all penned up because it was winter. There was no grazing. And so I, I put, it, put all the food in the tractor, and I went down the line in, in the troughs, and I, the food came out of a conveyor belt. And then I would leave the pen, put the tractor in, and that was pretty much my only job, right? Like, I literally had one job. This is what I was supposed to do. Well, what happened was is um, the only reason I had a two-day orientation is because a huge snow fell, and my boss needed to be on his main property. And so the snow fell, and I was stuck on this property, totally secluded, away from my wife and kids, snowed in, two feet of snow, for like six days. This is my introduction into this job, right? Not the best, not the smoothest. And, and so what happened is, day one, I feed the cows, pen them up, put the tractor away, I go inside, and my normal routine was to go inside and ride at the door because I'm all full of snow and, and stuff like that, was to just strip down, right? That's all the more graphic I'm gonna get today, I promise. But I would just strip down and then I would get into comfy clothes and I would spend the rest of my day watching movies on my little laptop that I had. So like day two comes, I feed the cows and, and I go inside and I strip down and I look outside when I'm done putting the tractor away and I see a cow walking past the bunkhouse and I see another cow walking past the bunkhouse and all of a sudden I see more cows and I'm freaking out because I realized that I didn't shut the gate. And as soon as the cows were done eating the food that I had given them, they wanted to go to where all of the other food was. And so literally with my pants down, I run outside and I'm thinking, maybe if I scare them back, they'll just turn around. And so I go, pants down, I'm like, stop, please go away, go that way. And the cows just keep coming. So I run in two feet of snow with no pants on and I shut the gate, I go back inside, I call my boss, and I'm like, hey, some of the cows got out and they're eating from the silage pit, what do I do? Put them back. Okay, how? <laughs> I was not prepared at all, right? And I want you guys to keep this in mind because this is what we're gonna talk about when it comes to this end time stuff. See, most of us, when we think of the end times, and the reason I got some wide eyes is because it's scary. We don't know what to do. But the end times shouldn't scare us. The second coming of Jesus shouldn't scare us. Every New Testament author, you guys, references, almost every New Testament author references this thing. This is something that they were dealing with all the way back from the first generation after Christ. They have been talking about this. The New Testament authors, the writers, were already preparing his church for this. It's important. And the reason why is because this shouldn't scare us at all. Actually, it should be the opposite. It should bring us comfort. It should bring us peace. It should allow us to have further faith in Jesus. This is a huge comfort. Why? God's kingdom is going to be established fully on earth forever. Satan and the fallen angels will be annihilated and thrown into the lake of fire. The new heavens and the new earth will come. God's righteousness will be on earth. It will be sinless. Can I get an amen? How many of y'all want to live in a world without sin? Right? We will have new resurrected bodies like Jesus. Amen. I cannot wait for a resurrected body. 
I cannot wait for, I think everyone's going to get a six pack. You know what I'm saying? Everyone, six pack. Maybe an eight pack. I don't know. Maybe the pastors get eight packs. I don't know what that is. We're going to be immortal. There's, there's going to be resurrected. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears. Does that sound like something we should be afraid of, church? No. That's amazing. That's like the best news ever, especially the six packs. I don't know. That's just me. I don't know why we're so afraid. The Bible says this, Romans chapter 8 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. Second Peter says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, he's talking about the, the new heavens and the new earth, what holy and godly lives we should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. As a father of three daughters, I've really, really taken to this scripture. I really want to hurry this along. I'm praying every single day that Jesus come back before my oldest turns 18. Can I get an amen? <laughs> People in here, like all the young girls are like, you're weird. That's okay. It's okay. But this is scriptural, so I'm just saying. On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he had promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. Come on. A world filled with God's righteousness. Doesn't that sound like good news, everybody? Doesn't that sound like something we should celebrate versus fear? God is doing some things in this place. God is doing some things in this world. And it's amazing. And I think a lot of us have this fear because we have the fear of the unknown, right? Like, I've never experienced the second coming of Jesus. I have really no idea what it's going to be like. And so that, that, that can create a little bit of natural fear. But this is where we where we attack fear, we attack a lie with the truth. The feeling is real, but it's, it's wrong. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be amazing. We have nothing to fear because God is good, and he has always fulfilled his promises. He has always been true to his word. He has always come through for us. Has any church? Has he not? Has God ever failed anybody in this place? No. Why would we think that his second coming would fail us in any way? But because we have this natural fear of the unknown, it's so easy to focus on these earthly things, these things that we're afraid of, these things that we don't understand. But, but God calls us to think of heavenly things, not on earthly things. He wants us to remember eternity. He wants us to think of eternity. So this is such a short piece of the puzzle. This is such a, a short, we, we focus on these 70 to 100 years. I hope I don't make it 100 years. I'm just going to be real with you guys. But 70 to 100 years of this life, and there's so much more out there. There's so, you guys have seen the Francis Chan, the rope thing with the, the tape on the rope, right? We, we want to focus on, 
on all of the rest of it, not just this short time, right? But before all of the amazingness comes, there's going to be a little bit of chaos, and we're experiencing chaos already. And I want you guys to understand that, that the theme of this message is God's not trying to scare you, right? He's not telling you all of this chaos, all of these things that are happening to scare you. And if he's not trying to scare you, what is he trying to do? He's trying to prepare you. But God wants to prepare us for the crazy things that are going down, right? He wants to prepare us. Not a doomsday type of preparation with like the, the people that stock up with like years and years worth of canned goods and, and like hundreds of shotguns. Those people interest me. Why would you think that a shotgun is going to help you against a spiritual force, <laughs> right? I mean, the canned goods kind of make sense, but the shotguns, like, you're just going to shotgun blast your way out of a spiritual war. That's not the kind of preparation we're talking about. In fact, Peter says this, and so, dear friends, while we were waiting for all of these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Live peaceful lives. You see, we're in a war, and there's some chaos coming, but we don't fight the way that the world fights, amen? We fight a spiritual battle against the principalities of darkness, and how do you defeat those things? With spiritual weapons, right? Not with earthly weapons. Living at peace, pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness. It's a completely different kind of warfare that we're engaged in. But God wants to prepare us. For what? The first thing he wants to prepare us for is the spirit of deception. 1 John 2.18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong to Christ, that they did not belong with us. I just want to make something clear. Um, this is talking about a very specific group of people that left for very specific reasons. Not everybody who leaves our church is an Antichrist. Can I just say that real quick? I just, wanted, I just felt the need to clarify that. Like, I don't want you to go to somebody who left our church and be like, Antichrist. <laughs> Maybe they just moved. This is, that's just the thing. But, but in the context of this scripture, people were leaving and it was proving that they didn't believe the truth. But you are not like that, for the Holy One gives you his spirit and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what God has... Uh, to what you have been taught from the beginning. Sorry, there's a lot of words here. Uh, to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. People want to lead you astray. And this very specific group of people that he's talking to in this scripture is a group of people who came and they said, you are a believer now. Now I want you to understand something. You got to love these things. You got to do these things too. And they were, they were called Judaizers. They were people who accepted Christ, but then tried to add a bunch of things on top of it, right? And that's why I said, you, you got to be faithful to the message that you heard. These other people, they're trying to lead you astray. 
And, and when they lead you astray, they're going to cause you to leave the fellowship that we have together. This is the deception that the Bible is talking about. This is the deception that he's warning us from. This Jesus and mentality, this works over faith, this idea that something other than the blood of Jesus can be your hope, your salvation. Jesus wants to prepare us against the spirit of hatred. He said this in Matthew. Then you will be arrested, Matthew 24, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. As many false prophets will appear and deceive many people, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I don't know if, if, any, if any of you have ever experienced kind of this persecution for being a believer. I have, actually, more than, um, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a, I'm a little bit ethnic. Um, some people think that I'm white just because of the way I sound. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's for, but I'm actually a little bit ethnic. I've never received as much hate as I've ever experienced for, for being colored or ethnic more than I have for being a believer. I, I got it all the time, especially in my hometown when I used to not be a believer and then I started living for Jesus. People really hated that. Well, people are going to hate you, right? People are going to be, they hated Jesus. And I think that we live in a world where, where we think that if we do this Christian thing right, then we can appease everybody. And that's just not true. Like, why would we think that if people hated Jesus, that they saw what he did, the same people who saw what he did arrested him and crucified him. If they hated Jesus, why, why would we expect a different treatment, right? They're looking for reasons to hate you because if they don't hate you, then they have to acknowledge that what you're doing is true. They have to acknowledge that what you're saying is correct and it forces them to have to change. And I don't know if you guys know this, but people don't like to change very much, right? People don't like to do it. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, you know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred, not race, ethnicity, marriage, sex, none of it. Nothing is sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless and puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. They're going to hate you because they want to reject the power that will make them godly. Because they like where they're at. And that's, that's part of that spirit of the Antichrist, right? They, they, want, to deny the, they want to deny the son because if they can disprove it, if they can reject it, if they can make it not verifiable, then they can sit in their own ways. And so if they can tear you down, they can win in their own minds. The third thing here is that God wants to prepare us for is physical destruction. And this is kind of an easy one. We see it all the time in Luke 21. We're going to pull from a couple passages here. 
Um, starting in verse 10, it says, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquake. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. There will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in heavens and earth will be shaken. We see it all around us. We see nation going to war with nation for silly things even. But earthquakes all around. We see, we see it all around us. And God's preparing us for this. this is, these are signs of the times ending. Right? We've seen it from the beginning. And I, actually, something that you guys should know is that, like I said at the top of the message, that every generation since Jesus believed that they were in the times, that, the, that, that, the, that all of the prophecy, all of the words that God was saying, all the things that he was doing, all of this stuff was preparing the way. And almost every generation, if not every generation, believed that they would be the generation to see all of this come to fruition. Isn't that crazy? And I'm here to tell you guys, I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen in our time, in our generation. But I want to be prepared for it. Because if it does happen, I want to know what it looks like. I want to know what's going on. I want to know my response because the Bible says that it comes like a thief in the night. We have no idea. Jesus on earth said, I don't even know. God knows. This is his plan. I'm not even sure what's going on right now. I'll, I'll find out later. That's the words of Jesus. If Jesus didn't know, we're not going to find out. If Jesus didn't know, we're not going to know. And so we have to be prepared. I actually have an example, right? And this is why I told the story to you guys at the top, me, me working on the cattle ranch. I was totally unprepared for them cows. It took me like eight hours to wrangle them all in. I had to grab the four-wheeler. I didn't even know how to really use the four-wheeler. I didn't even know how to put it in reverse, and it was parked straight in at the back of the thing. So I pulled it out 100 feet out of this barn because I didn't know how to put it in reverse. And it took me eight hours to put those cows in because I was totally unprepared. When you're unprepared is when chaos really strikes. God wants to prepare us. I actually have an example of what unpreparedness looks like. Go ahead and pay attention to the screen. Touch the handle. If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. What does warm mean? Not a viable option. What next? Don't try. Oh, here's a door. Check that one out. How's the handle? And it's warm. Go to the back door. Another option. Jeez. Settle down, everyone. I forgot my purse. Leave it, woman. Get out of the way. Go, go, go. Things can be replaced, Phyllis. People, human lives, however, can. Ow, my hand. That's hot. This one's hot too. Okay, we're trapped. Everyone for himself. Okay, let's go. Have you ever seen a burn victim? Okay, procedure, procedure. Excellent option. Where do we go, folks? Use a what to cover the mouth? A what? A rag, a damp rag, perhaps. Let's remember those procedures. What are the options? That's the wrong way. We've already tried that. Remember your exit points. Exit points, people. What's next? Stay alive. I'm getting help. Pull me up. You're too heavy. I only weigh 82 pounds. Bandit! <laughs> <laughs> 911! Anyone? 911! 
If you're not prepared, it's going to get messy, right? If you're not prepared, it's going to get messy. I have been looking, you guys, for a long time on figuring out how to use some of this material for a sermon. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite shows. <laughs> but if you're not, it's so true, though. If you're not prepared, it's chaos. When you don't know what's going on, you think a firecracker is the fire shooting at you, right? If you don't know what's going on, you won't be prepared. If you're not prepared, you're not going to know what's going on. And God doesn't just want to prepare us. He wants to do that, but he actually wants to do so much more. He wants to wake us up, right? He wants to focus us in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 6 says, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We do not belong to the darkness and the night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. When Jesus was in the garden right before he was crucified, he brought his inner three with him, right? He brought those three disciples and he, he was like, guys, stand with me, pray with me, fight with me, engage in this battle with me. And he went away to pray and he came back and they were asleep. And he woke them up. You guys, come on. What are you doing? There's no, this is no time to rest. And he went away and he came back and they were asleep. And I think that it's so important for us to understand this is not something that we can sleep on. Maybe we won't see the end come in our lifetime in this generation. But you guys have to understand that maybe we will. And God wants to wake us up. He wants us to know what's going on. He wants us to be prepared. Well, what do we do then? Right? How do we get prepared? How do we... How do we spiritually engage in this battle for all of these things that will try to take us out, this hatred, this deception, this destruction? What do we do? First John says this in 228, he says, and now dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back. It's simple, stay close to Jesus. If you're close to Jesus, it can disarm any lie, right? When you, when you know what Jesus said, it's really easy to fight against any other voice, right? And the, the reason why it's so easy to believe in deception for some people is because the Bible says that, that Satan that masquerades himself as an angel of light, 
Like he's pretty good at knowing kind of what to say. And it sounds good enough that people are just drawn away from it. Right? That's why the Judaizers came in back in the biblical time. Hey, it's great that you did this, but now do this also. It's great that you put your faith in Jesus, but why don't you come here and get circumcised too? Why don't you come here and follow all of these laws and customs? Why don't you come here and do all of this stuff, taking them further and further away from Jesus? But when you stay close to Jesus, when you hold on to that, when you know what he said, when you know what he's doing, it's going to be real easy to avoid the lie. Am I right? It's going to be real easy to avoid the lie. And actually, I don't know if you guys know this. Um, have any of you guys worked in a bank? Anybody here? Or a couple of you guys? So when, when bankers and tellers are, are trying to find counterfeits, which happens all the time, when they're trying to find counterfeits, they don't study the counterfeit. They actually study the real deal. They know all of the markings. They know all of the, the colors. They know all of the sizes. They know all of the prints, the fonts. They take time and they study the real deal. And so when a counterfeit comes, they can say, whoa, that's not the real deal. And that's what we want to do. We want to stay close to the real deal. We want to get close to Jesus. This is the foundation of our faith. This is everything. It says in 1 John, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. This is how we know that we are in him. We obey his word. Why is this so important? Why do we talk about this discipline? Why do we focus on this discipline? I'm going to tell you guys why this is something that I just was so just pivotal for me in my walk with the Lord. John 1 says this, and, and starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You guys, Jesus is the physical manifestation of the very Word of God. It's right there. Jesus is God. He is the Word of God. He is the breath of God. He is the life of God. And we have access to it every single day. Actually, the, book, the Bible says in Romans, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to stay close to Jesus? You got to get in your word. You got to know what it says. Because you can't really do what he tells you to do. You can't follow his commandments if you don't know what he said. And I think even advertly, a lot of people were like, I just can't hear from God. I just have no idea what God is saying. Can I just challenge you real quick, church? Is that okay? I think it's really interesting that a group of Christian believers can ever say that they have not heard from God. Because God said 2,000 years of worth of stuff, and he put it in a book for us to read. If you don't know what God said, look at what he has already said. 
We have two words from, from God, two, two meanings of the word from God in the, in, in the original text. It's the word rhema and the word logos. And I know we've heard about this. I know we've talked about this a lot. But the rhema word is this personal word. And the logo word is this general word, this, this all-encompassing word. Right? We we've count the Bible as his logos word. And we, and we count what God speaks to us as his rhema word. And I just want to tell you guys something. That God can use his logos word to become your rhema word. He can use the things that he said to say to you the things that he wants. And in fact, that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. In, in John, the same author, chapter 14, says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. What's everything he has said to you? 2,000 years worth of information, and he said it all. The Holy Spirit will teach you all of these things. And he'll remind you of everything I said. He wants to make that Logos word your rhema word. Stay close to Jesus. This is how we prepare. This is how we wake up. This is how we understand how to defeat everything that the enemy is doing. Secondly, you guys, he wants to focus us on relationships with godly people. You guys. There's some of you guys in here, maybe on this side of the church, that don't know some of you guys on this side of the church. And I'm not here to judge anybody. It's natural. There's a lot of us here. But can I just suggest to you that the people that you guys, just everybody just look around in the room once. Just everybody just look around. These are your people. You guys are my people. You want to fight, you want to fight the spirit of hatred? Look around. You have people who you might not have even ever have talked to that have a word of encouragement that can lift you up when you're feeling attacked by the world. This is the functionality of our church. This is, what we, this is why we have life groups. This is why we are trying to, to intentionally get you guys to spend time with each other. So the Bible talks about, so many scriptures talk about the strength that we have when we're with each other. And again, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the beginning. This is the old commandment, to love one another. It's the same message you've heard before. Love one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Be the church that God desires. And we all know 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. It is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. I struggle with that. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Be that for each other here in this place. Be the church that God would desire, that we would love one another. That we would build each other up to stand up against the enemy. To stand up against the spirit of hatred. To stand up against anything that would come against us. And not just each other, but, but also the world. Take that same love that you guys develop with each other and pour it out on the world. And that's, that's the last thing here, you guys. 
how do we prepare for all of these things that are coming? We actually go out and we make a difference. We go out and we do what God's called us to do. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 10, says, Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We all have a purpose here. In fact, if you have breath in your lungs, go ahead and just take a deep breath for me once, church. Don't that feel good? I, I kind of needed that. But if you have breath in your lungs, God has a plan for you. And that plan for you isn't just for you. It's actually through you for other people. You see, the Bible says this. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think about slow. Second Peter no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want any to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come and as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. In verse 15, in the same chapter, it says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. He's waking us up, church. We're on mission. If you have breath in your lungs, he's got a plan for you. And all of these things that he's, that is going to come to fruition, whether in our lifetime or another, is because God is patient. He wants to give every single person the opportunity to experience the power of his son, the revelation, knowledge of his son, to turn from their sin and repent and build a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning, he wants to use you to do it. He wants to use you and me to do this. This is how we hurry it along. And I think that's why I'm an evangelist, right? Because I have three daughters. Like, I'm, trying to, I'm, try, I'm talking to everybody. Hey, do you know Jesus? You should. You want to? I really need to hurry this thing along. This is how. I think that we, this is a theory of mine, okay? This is not a biblical truth. This is not, this is, don't, don't take it for that. But, but my theory is, is that, that God is looking for a revival to actually spark out, right? He wants the majority to follow him. Right now, the majority of the world does not follow him. And I think people have looked at scriptures and said it's going to get worse before it gets better. And they, they apply that to people being saved. And they take some scriptures out of context. In my opinion, this is not, <laughs> I'm going to clarify, this is not cross point stance. This is my theory. But I think God is, is, I, I think God is looking for a revival. I think God is looking for the majority of the people here on the planet to come to know him, to advance his kingdom far enough that he can give him all of the, thor all of the authority, all of the, all of the um, authority to do his will. And we give it back to him. And he's looking for a majority to enter his kingdom. You see, 
the reason why every generation since Christ has believed that they were going to be the ones that saw this thing come to fruition is because all of the prophecies, all of the things have just lined up multiple times. And we're seeing this now, some of these prophecies, and I'm not going to get into all of them, but, but we're seeing some of this stuff come to fruition now as we speak. Some of these prophecies, again, it's, 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 like, it's like the temperature is setting, right? It's, it's warming up. It's brewing. And I think we have the ability to take advantage of it. If we want to hurry this along, if we want to see this come, and I want to see this come, church, not just because of my kids, but because I want to see Jesus come the way he was meant to come. Because when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby. Right? He's coming back in power. I want to see that. I want to see that happen, church. But until it does, we're going we're gonna to wake up and we're going to prepare. This is the kind of church desires, God desires us to be. This is the kind of church that, that was there from the beginning. If you read in Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord had added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is it, man. They were loving on Jesus loving on each other, and that was causing them to make a difference. This is the, the church that God desires. This is, this is the church that I think that we are and are becoming even more. I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that reaches out into the community. I'm so, some of you guys in this room right now have encouraged me when I was down. You've showed me the truth Encourage me to get closer to Jesus. This is the kind of church that I want to be a part of, and this is the kind of church that we are. And so my encouragement to you guys is to go further, dig deeper. My encouragement to you guys is to, is to stay close to Jesus, get closer to each other, and go make a difference. Would you guys bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we know that there's chaos all around us. We know that there's um, present suffering. God, we know that there's things that are outside of our control, things that are happening. For some of us, even this message didn't, didn't quite do it, that unsettling feeling of fear when it comes to the end times, that, that fear of the unknown, that fear of, of whether or not this is going to come to pass this way or, or what it looks like or what it means, God. But, but ultimately, God, I just pray that you would just, just comfort our hearts. Whether you come back tomorrow or in a hundred years or in a thousand more years, would you prepare your church? Would you wake us up because ultimately, the goal isn't even the preparation. The goal is to be with you. 
possible, would you remove the fear, remove the doubt, do what only you can do. Would you break down these walls so that we can experience the power of your love? Come on, let's give it up for God's word. Aren't you guys thankful for the word of the Lord?